Well, good morning. Good morning. It is uh, great to be with you guys this morning. Uh, this first day of 2023. Come on, we made it, right? Yeah. Uh, like Pastor Matt said, my name is Eric Rosenberry. For those of you that I have not had the opportunity to meet, and I have the privilege of serving here with some amazing students and leaders as the student minister here at Brook Hills. Um, but I'm excited to be with you guys this morning as we get to dive into Scripture, as we get to hang out for just a few minutes. And so as we get going here this morning, if you guys will go ahead and open up to your Bibles to the book of Jude. Uh, I know Jude is one of those books that we don't go to often. It's only one chapter, and so if you guys are having a hard time finding it, just head to the back of your Bibles to Revelation, turn left, and you're going to find it in that next book. But that's where we're going to be camping out here this morning for a little bit, hanging out. Uh, we'll be skipping around here, uh, here and there, but we're going to be spending most of our time here in Jude. But 2023, uh, it... We made it another year. It's exciting time of year, especially at the beginning. Because if you look at the beginning of the year, it always gives many of us this fresh new outlook on life. We'll look back to 2022, and if it wasn't the greatest year for us, a lot of us will say, okay, well, 2022 wasn't it, but 2023 is it, right? We're going to be the ones that, that say it's going to be different this year. We're going to finally go out and do the things that we've always wanted to do. We're going to achieve the things that we've always wanted to do, achieve the goals that we've always had. Some of us might call these goals. Some of us might call them resolutions. But the thing is, they look different for many of us, right? For some of us, it means finally getting back into the gym after a long hiatus, Let's face it, we've all gotten to the point in life as we get older where the glory days are way behind us. The letterman's jackets that we wore so proudly as seniors in high school have now gone to one corner of the closet and become crop tops on us whenever we choose to wear them. Some of us also uh, realize that we can't get up off the couch without making that all too familiar sound that we used to make fun of our dads for all the time, right? I actually was putting a sock on yesterday and I had to go, ugh. My wife was like, what was that? I was like, I have no idea where that came from. <laughs> Others of us get trash-talked by our nine-year-old who beat us in a foot race uh, on a regular basis. That one's more personal to me than, than most of you guys. But as we try to set out to achieve this goal or this resolution that we might have, we figure let's get healthier, let's work out, let's eat better, let's put something green on our plates for the very first time, Right? For others of us, we're going to travel more, right? Like we got this goal to travel more. We want to go see the world outside of Epcot Center at Disney World. We want to experience life. We want to experience new cultures and food and people and languages. We want to see the landscapes that have lived on our screensavers for so long at the office. Others of us might see 2023 as the year where we're going to spend more time with our family. To be honest, most of our lives are very busy throughout the year. If you look at our work schedule, it gets very stressful. It's very demanding. So by the time we get home to spend with our family, we're at the point where we're exhausted, we're drained, and we go to the, the age-old conversations. How was your day? Good. How was school? Good. What's for dinner? I have no idea. You choose. And so 2023 is going to be that year where we're more intentional in spending time together. Maybe it looks like us being more intentional in eating a meal together or less screen time or uh, going and, and, and just maybe spending time together once a month as a family. 
If it's not one of those, it's many other things that we might consider as a goal or an achievement that we want to accomplish this year. Some of us might want to get off of social media or make more money or read more, mend a relationship or a hundred other things. But the thing is, is with this time of year, what happens is if you ask anyone, we all want to achieve something, something that we think will be better at or something that can add to our lives, something that we want to achieve because oftentimes what we've been told and what we believe is that if we have these things in our life, then our life is going to be better. That if I could finally do this, if I could just have more of this, if I could do everything that I've set out to do, then what I, what I could do is create not only this perfect life for myself, but this perfect life for my family. But I just want to ask you this this morning as we get going. What happens if we don't achieve those goals? What happens if we look down the road in 2023 and because we haven't achieved the goals or the resolutions that we set out to do, it automatically becomes a 2024 resolution? What if the opposite happens? What if we do reach those goals in 2023 and we realize that at the end of it all, we still have this nagging void, this feeling of emptiness? What happens when the things that we put all of our time, all of our passion, all of our energy into, the things that we thought would fulfill us and uphold us, don't live up to their billing? What happens when 2023 is a huge failure? What happens when what we've been leaning on for so long for stability and balance in life just doesn't work out? It ends up failing us. What then do we stand on? Where do we go from there? And so my prayer this morning is that as we navigate this together, that we would see no matter how great the appeal, none of these things could actually uphold us. None of these things could promise the balance and stability that we're looking for in our faith. None of, us, none of these things could give us the life that we are called to as followers of Christ. The thing is, is that none of those were actually meant to carry that distinction and weren't meant to carry that weight. So if that stability and balance in our faith that we all long for can't be found in these things, then where do we go from here? What do we lean on for support as we strive for growth in our faith when there's a world that's out there that's pulling us in so many different directions? As we attempt to answer this this morning, I wanted to look at this passage of Scripture in Jude because I feel like it's in Jude, in these words, that we see these two things that will sustain us in our lives. Two things that Jude mentions that will sustain us in our faith as believers in Christ. And so if you guys will join with me, look with me in, in Jude. Like I said, it's only one chapter, so we'll start off in verse 24 here this morning. It says, Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling... And to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. See, it's in these two verses that Jude is holding on to two things that we see here. Two things that will give us balance and stability in our faith as we continue to strive to grow. And these two things are this. The reality of being presented as blameless, as righteous, and the hope that we have in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we look at those two things, it tells us this, that we don't know what this year holds for us. We don't know what's going to happen in 2023. We don't know what's around the corner for us. But what we do know is that as believers, we can stand firm trusting that God has given us exactly what we need 
He's given us exactly what we need, not just to endure, but to grow in our faith along the way. Now, as we look at these two aspects that Jude mentions here a little bit deeper, the righteousness of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, I think it's good this morning for us to, to picture it like this. I'm a visual kind of guy. And so I want us to imagine that our lives are represented by this huge bookshelf, okay? And on this bookshelf, there are books on it that represent every aspect of our lives, everything made to balance each other out to make up what our life, what our faith looks like. And so on that bookshelf that we call life, we have these books that might be titled spiritual things because that makes up part of our lives, right? And so these, these books might be titled something like our quiet time or our prayer time or our church attendance or, or sharing the gospel with others. And, and they're lined up on this bookshelf right here. And along with the spiritual ones, we also have those temporal ones, the ones that uh, might be everyday type books for us that make up our life. It might be our job and our kids and our family and our money that we make. And so they're all lined up along this shelf, all according, making up our lives, making up what our faith looks like. And on any given day, as we're trying to achieve the things that we want in life, we're constantly pulling book after book off of the bookshelf. You think of just a regular day, you're pulling a book off your shelf that might be labeled your job or your family because you want to be intentional with your family. You want to grow in your job. You want to get that status. And then you're also coming to church or you're spending time in the Word, so you're pulling book after book off of this bookshelf. And the more time that you spend pulling these books off the shelves, the more complicated it gets because you know what it's like to pull a book off a bookshelf that has a bunch of books lined up together. They start falling over, leaning on each other. And then by the end of the day, you're carrying a bunch of these books and then the books that are left on the shelf are just trying to lean on it to find balance. And so this is what it looks like for our faith because we know what it looks like to try to balance these books simultaneously. It gets overwhelming. You're, you're going back and forth, oh, I've got to pick this one up, I've got to pick this one up too. And so in an effort to try to keep these books upright, we might try to overcompensate and lean our books on one in particular, because it feels like in that moment we can find balance there. So we might lean it on our job, or our money, or our status, because it feels stable at that time. We might say, okay, well, my job gives me this good feeling. I've got this status. I've got the money that I want to be able to do things with. I want to be able to pay for houses and cars and be able to do the vacations and the things that I've set out to do. The status that I have at work gives me stability because everyone knows who I am. Others of us might try to lean our books on our kids, our family, our, our, our marriage, because that makes us feel good about it. We, we say, you know, these are the people that bring joy and, and happiness into my life, so I'm going to lean my life and my faith on all these things. Some of us even might go to the extent of putting our, our, our faith into our church attendance. And it, it feels good, it feels stable in the moment, but the fact is, is that if we lean our books on all of these things, they will eventually fail. We're going to fail at our job. Our job is going to fail us. It's not going to always give us what we want. Our family is the same. I'm going to fail my family. They will fail me as well. Church attendance is not something that I can lean on. As great as that feels to be here in this building every single week, it is not going to be something that I can lean completely on for the growth of my faith. You see, we need something to keep our faith upright. We need it to be secure. 
And so God in his graciousness has given these two things that Jude mentions that acts as bookends on this bookshelf that we just talked about. This, these bookends that give us balance in our faith and give us this stability that we're looking for. And it's the righteousness of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in these two bookends where we can stand firm in our faith, even in the shakiest, most unpredictable seasons of our lives. And so Jude mentions these two things, two things that we can lean on, but how exactly do we stand in them? And I want to start by looking at the righteousness of Christ. In verse 24, Jude references the righteousness of Christ when he says, the one that makes us stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. Now, some of us might ask the question, okay, why do I need to lean my life on this one book? And why do I need to rely on Jesus? Isn't it enough that I have a strong enough willpower? Isn't it good enough that I'm, I feel like I'm strong enough to withstand anything that comes my way? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a great feeling at first. But the, the fact is, is that we need to rely on the righteousness of Christ because there's one truth that we all need to know. We are not righteous. If we're to look at the biblical definition of righteous, it means to be perfectly obedient to God's law. To always be someone that does what is right. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that definitely ain't me. As much as I would like to think so, I don't uphold God's law perfectly all the time. I don't always do what is right all the time. I am not perfect None of us are. And if we were ever to have a question about this, if I were to ever have a question about this personally, I just look at my kids. Now let me preface here, I love my kids. They are a joy, they, are a, they make life so much sweeter, they truly are a gift of God. But if we're being honest here this morning, sometimes they can be punks. <laughs> See, my three-year-old Ellie makes me fear for my life most days, okay? Love her. There'll be times where my wife Diane and I are in the kitchen, we're making dinner, and Ellie will roll through on this tricycle that we have inside of the house, and she will run over my toes on purpose. And I know that some of you are like, well, she's three. She probably did it on accident. That's exactly what I thought until I saw her running, riding off on her tricycle in the distance going, ha, <laughs> I didn't teach her that. I, I didn't say, hey, this is how you run over people's toes. No, she, this is just her. It, it comes from an early age. We... We are not righteous. You guys have probably had your own moments like that with your own kids. And it just goes to show that we, we are not righteous. We are not perfect, and we never are going to be perfect. If there was still a question about it, the Apostle Paul puts it very bluntly for us in, in the book of Romans. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. He skips down a couple verses and he says, all have turned away, all alike have become useless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. And then he puts a bow on it on verse 23 where he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we, we look at these verses here and what it shows us is that every single one of us no matter if you're a pastor, a small group leader, a successful businessman, someone who regularly gives to charity, a social media influencer, someone who's been in the church their whole life, or someone that's just hearing about Jesus for the first time this morning, it doesn't matter who we are, every single one of us, we are all sinners. 
We've all disobeyed God, and because God is perfect and cannot be in the presence of sin, no matter how small or big of sin that we think it is, no matter if it's just one sin or a life of sin, God in his perfect righteousness cannot be in the presence of sin. And so that sin separates us from a perfect God. And this is where the books begin to fall down for us. Because it's at this point where some of us might try to justify ourselves. We, we begin to be those people where we might say things like, you know, I've messed up. I've had a few slip-ups here and there, but at least I'm not as bad as that guy over there. I've done it myself. And it's easy in a very social media-driven world that we live in. We can look at people's lives on social media and be like, I don't know about you, but my life is okay. This guy can't even hold down a job. His marriage is a wreck. His kids are a mess. This guy's a train wreck over here. I'm not that bad. And we begin to think of ourselves better than we really are. We begin to have this self-righteous attitude about ourselves, this attitude that we can actually be good enough to earn God's favor. This attitude that somehow we can still save ourselves, that we can be a savior to our own selves. And so we tend to create this imaginary scoring system where we run through our day, we tally up our good compared to our bad, and as long as our good outweighs our bad, then everything's great. You know, we'll run through our day. Let's see, I woke up early, had a quiet time. I prayed for my family. I got the kids up and ready for school today. I actually fed them breakfast other than a Pop-Tart, so that's a win. I dropped them off in the school line. I only used my horn once, but you didn't see the lady. She cut me off. I got to work on time, ate a salad, met all my deadlines, held the elevator for that one guy, invited my coworker to church. I only had to get on the kids two times. I had a few slip-ups here and there. Sure, the little some bumps in the road, but I didn't kill anyone today. So at the end of the day, I feel like I got an above average grade. And so going through life, leaning our faith on these things might make us feel secure for a while. It might make us feel great that we're a good person. But we have to remember that God's standards are not good. God's standards are perfection. So where we might be scoring on this scale of one to 100, and thinking that scoring a 99 out of 100 is great, like that's what the world says, that, that's an A grade right there, that's almost perfect. But even on our own scale where we say 99 out of 100 is great, we have to realize judging by God's grading scale, 99 out of 100 is still failure. We still fall short. And this is why we see in Isaiah 64 where it tells us even our best efforts are like filthy rags to God. And I know that's a smack in the face for a lot of us, a smack in, my, in the face for me, because I, I think I try to do the best that I can, but we still fall short. But it's, it just goes to show that our salvation cannot be based on our performance. Because when we lean our faith on our performance, when we lean on the bookends of other things like our performance, what we're doing is that we are putting our lives forward as the representation we're saying, God, I've done all these great things. I go to church every single week. I, I, I read my Bible. I'm a great father. And so we're putting our lives forward as this representation. And as good as that may seem, when we put our good life up against Christ's perfect life, we will always fail. And this is why we need to lean on this bookend of the righteousness of Christ. You see, it's necessary for us to see this because it's only when we see our sin for what it is where we understand that we are, we are in need of a Savior. Now, I also realize as we understand we'll never be able to save ourselves, it can also lead us in the opposite direction. Not where we think we are self-righteous, but go in the complete opposite direction and feel this amazing amount of guilt. 
This idea that our sin is too much, that God can't possibly handle someone like me because of the past that I've had. And to be honest, this is what I struggled with for most of my life. See, as grateful as I was to be able to grow up in a Christian home, the gospel, as I understood it, was a more legalistic one. One that wasn't based on grace and love, but that was dependent on my behavior. Where God's love for me seesawed, depending on the type of kid that I was that day. And so I always strived, every single day, I strived to be this perfect son. At home, I, I'd do all the chores, I'd listen to all the rules, I would do everything that I could to, to show my parents that I was a good kid. I would do the same at school, I would obey my teachers, I'd get along with my classmates, I studied, I worked hard, I did all my homework. And every single day, that was what it was all about, just trying to be perfect, trying to uphold everything perfectly. But because my faith was leaning solely on my abilities to be this perfect son or this perfect student, when I did mess up, which was often, it affected the way that I saw God. I didn't see him as this loving father, but I saw him as more of a principal. And we all know what it's like to take that walk of shame down in the principal's office, right? We all know the guilt and the shame that we're carrying down that hallway as we're about to enter into that office. We, we all know what it's like to carry that fear with us, knowing that there's a punishment about to be handed down to us. And so I didn't see him as this loving father, but as a principal, and because of that, my relationship wasn't built off of love, it was built off of fear. And so I felt extremely guilty. Why would God possibly love someone like me that's messed up as much as I have? Why would he love someone that's turned his back on him as much as I have? If I've turned my back on God, what's keeping him from turning his back on me? And so I put all this weight on myself. Every day that I had a terrible day, I thought it was because of the mistakes and the sin that I had, that God was punishing me because of that. And so I carried this weight, I carried this burden with me. And because of that, it, was, it became a very lonely place for me to be. I felt helpless, I felt lost. Felt like this lost cause, this guy that had been kicked to the curb that no one wants anything to do with. But here's the good news here. This is why God has given us this first book in of Christ's righteousness to lean on here. Because as we look at the finished work of the cross, it's Jesus now that has stood in our place. It's Jesus that says, I'll take that sin. It's Jesus that says, I'll take that guilt. It's Jesus that says, I'll take that shame. And because Jesus, the perfect son of God, sacrificed himself on the cross as we repent or we turn away from our sin and enter into a relationship with him, he now stands in our place. And God no longer sees that sin but the righteousness of Christ in our place. And see, it's when we lean on this book in that we truly have freedom. Freedom from this overwhelming feeling of guilt and shame. Freedom that comes with knowing that we have a Father that loves and extends us grace. Not just in the good times, but even in our failures. A couple weeks ago, my oldest, Hadley, borrowed a Christmas sweater of mine for a Christmas party that she had at school. And she was so excited to wear this Christmas sweater. And I don't blame her, it was a solid Christmas sweater. It was an ugly Christmas sweater. Not only was it an ugly Christmas sweater, but it was an ugly Christmas sweater that had a picture of Jesus on this Christmas sweater who himself was wearing an ugly Christmas sweater and dancing. And then not only that, but it lit up. So like it, it took it over to the top. And so Hadley was like, Daddy, can I borrow? And I was like, yeah, sure, go for it. 
And I took her to school that day, and she was so excited to show it off to everyone. I remember she got out of the car really quick. She saw a couple teachers in the drop-off line. She showed them how it lit up, and they had a good laugh and everything. She walked in, had this big smile on her face. I saw a picture of her later that day with her classmates. She had a big smile on her face with the, the sweater. She was so proud of it. And I, I remember picking her up from school that day, and things were, seemed a little off from what I remember happening that morning. She had this look of concern on her face, this look of fear. She was a little timid to talk with me, and I was like, Hatsters, what, what's wrong? Baby, what, what, what's going on? She goes, Daddy, I'm, I'm so sorry. I broke your sweater. She said, I was, I was leaning for something in class and something cut the cords on the lights and now the lights don't work. I, I can't fix it. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. It was an accident. And you could see as she was admitting all of this to me that the entire day she was carrying the shame. She was carrying this guilt with her. She was carrying this fear with her knowing that she was eventually going to have to tell dad what had happened and that she wasn't able to fix it. And so she thought I was going to lay the hammer down on her. The thing is, as I looked at her, instead of laying the hammer down, I, I, I took her, put my arm around her, I said, it's okay. It's, it's a sweater. Accidents happen. I still love you. And it's when I showed her I wasn't going to lay the hammer down, but I was going to love her through that, that she was free. There was instantly this ease that came over her. She breathed a sigh of relief. She's like, <sighs> and she, she started to smile again. And see, what had happened is that she was no longer carrying this shame, she was no longer carrying this guilt, she was no longer carrying this fear, but she had gotten to experience grace. I love what Paul David Tripp says when he says, since your understanding with God is based not on your righteousness, but on Christ, in moments of failure you can run to him and not from him. And I love that picture there because a lot of times in the world when we fail, when we make a mistake, when we sin against someone, we want to avoid that person at all costs. We want to run away from that situation. But here's this picture of a God that even in our failures and our mistakes and our sin, God's like, come on, I'm here. I want to love you. I want to extend grace to you. Even though you've messed up, I'm still going to love you through it. And so we get this picture of actually being able to run to him instead of from him. And see, it's when we understand that God's love for us is not dependent on our performance, but his grace, it frees us to live a life that is honoring to him. It leads us to a point where we want to give him everything because he's given everything for us. It's where we want to give everything because we understand the grace that has been extended to us that we don't deserve. And so it's in this righteousness of Christ that gives us the confidence and the motivation to live for him. That's what wakes us up in the morning and says, I'm ready to do whatever I can for the kingdom because God, you have given everything to me. You've given me the righteousness of your perfect son and I'm gonna live my life out according. And so we have this amazing motivation, this amazing confidence to go out to make disciples of all nations, to go share the gospel with others because of what we understand that Christ has given us that we don't deserve. Now it's great that we have this motivation, it's great that we have this confidence as we, tend, as we continue to grow in our faith, but we can't just rely on our motivation to live for Christ. As great as that is, as exciting as that is, we also have to have something to sustain this faith. Because if we only have one thing and not the other, 
then it's like us being kids being thrown out in the middle of the pool with only one floaty. Like we have that one floaty and it's gonna give us the confidence that we can swim, but without the other one, we're gonna start struggling and realize it's gonna be a little tougher to swim. And so we need this helper. We need a helper to help us sustain our faith. And so if we wanna remain standing this year, we also need the power of the Holy Spirit. See, both the righteousness of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit are vital for us to stand firm in our faith no matter what season we may walk through, no matter what 2023 is going to throw our way. They work together to give us this strong foundation because where the righteousness of Christ gives us the confidence to live for Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the strength we need to live out our lives for Christ. Jude refers to the Holy Spirit as the one who is able to protect you from stumbling. Scripture characterizes the Holy Spirit as the ever-present helper. When we come to faith, the Holy Spirit is the one that dwells within us, that goes with us every step of the way. The one that convicts us of our sin and our righteousness. The one that reminds us of Christ's love daily. The one that guides us. So the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us everything we need to withstand the schemes of the enemy, which is huge because it doesn't matter how long we've been a believer, we will always be tempted by something. There's always going to be something in our path that is looking to take us away from what God has done. It's always going to be there to keep us from obeying God's law, to help us make mistakes and fail. Jesus references us this in Luke 17. And here's the thing, there's nothing the enemy would love more than for us to attempt to conquer temptation and isolation. For us to think, I can take this by myself. For us to think, well, I've got enough willpower, I'm strong enough to take this on. The enemy knows that we are not strong enough to take temptation on head on by ourselves. We've, we've real, realized this. I've tried to do this on my own and what happens is that we'll struggle. Yeah, we might have a win here and there, and we might feel good about that, but over time, what's gonna happen is when there's a struggle every single day and we're trying to fight this by ourselves, we're eventually gonna get exhausted. We're gonna get tired. And when that exhaustion hits, that's where we're going to fail. But because of the power that we've been given through the Spirit, we don't have to fight this battle alone. God knew that we were not meant to carry this on our own, and so he's given us tools to be able to withstand this, to endure it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. See, I love that passage because I believe that the Spirit has given us a way to, uh, to endure temptation, and it's by putting people intentionally in our lives so that we can walk through life with them. So we don't have to go through it by ourselves, but we can go hand in hand with other believers that would be able to hold us accountable, that would be able to care for us, that would be able to pray for us so that we could endure the temptation that comes our way. Ephesians 5 gives us this picture of what this looks like. In verse 19, it says, But be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. You see, this is a picture of what it looks like for believers 
to come to worship together, to hold each other accountable, to be there for each other, to walk into battle together in this spiritual warfare that we're in every single day. See, we're going to win the battle against temptation not because of our own strength, not because of our own willpower, but because the Spirit has given us an army to fight with. See, this is why here at Brook Hills we have small groups. This is why we have prayer gatherings. This is why we have faith family gatherings. This is why we have fellowship together. It's because when we are filled with the Spirit, we will have a desire to worship God and to also encourage others in their worship of God. It's creating this community here that's going to help us succeed, not only just for 2023, but beyond. And it's this community that's going to make us stronger every single day. I look at it like CrossFit. Now, most of you guys have probably been to a gym like CrossFit, probably seen those people that are at a gym like CrossFit. They're the ones that come in with a protein shake every single day, and they're like, hey, I ran six miles here today, right? I, I, before our girls, my wife and I, Diane, we were a, a part of a CrossFit gym in Tennessee, and, and I remember going into CrossFit just very confident about myself. I... Uh, I remember I, I played sports in high school and college. I trained for those sports in high school and college. And so I remember those sports and the training that I did and how hard it was on some of those days where I was training for them. And so I walked into CrossFit and I was thinking to myself, there's no way that a workout from this local gym is going to be any harder than the training that I did for my sports. And of course, as I walked in that first day, I found out it was going to be way harder than I thought. You see, on any given morning, you would see me finishing the back of the pack of the workouts. When I did finish, you'd find me in a corner about to throw up my protein shake and uh, trying to gasp for, gasp for air. My joints ached, my back hurt, my muscles were sore, my pride had been thrown way out the window. And yet it was weird. Kept coming back every single morning ready for more. And I can only attribute this to the community that was built at CrossFit in our time there. Because every single morning, no matter how far behind I was everyone else, no matter how much I was struggling in that workout that day, there was always someone there to run beside me, always someone there to encourage me and challenge me. The people that finished like 10 minutes before me were coming back into it and running beside me. Come on, Eric, let's go. You got this, go faster, you got a little more in you, just a little bit further, just one more rep, you got it. And you see, that community that was pushing me, that was challenging me, over time I got better, I got stronger. No longer was I finishing in the back of the pack, but now I was finishing more in the middle of the pack. But the thing is, is even though I wasn't where I wanted to be as an athlete in that moment, finishing in the middle of the pack, I was better off than where I started. And it was because of the challenging. It was because of those community of people stri uh, striving to make me stronger every single day. So how are we going to get stronger spiritually this year? Together. We're going to get stronger spiritually as we live intentionally with others we're going to get stronger spiritually as we surround ourselves with people that will challenge us, that will pray for us, that will care for us. And to be honest, we will find that and get stronger as we find people that we can be real with. Because it's one thing to come into church, put your church face on, be all happy and be like, everything's great in life, when it's really not. 
It's amazing when you find those people and you're, you're able to say, listen, man, I'm struggling this week. This week has been awful. Can you just pray for me? This is where we're going to get stronger together. And this is why I'm incredibly thankful for the gift that we've been given in our small group that we have each week. We meet on Tuesday nights, and uh, this is our small group up here uh, at the Trunk or Treat. Um, just amazing. Uh, let's, let, let me just go ahead and say, find a small group leader like Josh Bordas who has Toy Story costumes in the back of his trunk, not just for Halloween, but just for the heck of it, right? Like, you never know. But we have had a, an amazing time with this group. Since moving here from Nashville, we've been able to laugh with these people. We've broken bread with these people each week. We're constantly praying for each other. We've been cared for by this group, even in our, our, our toughest seasons. We've attended each other's kids' sporting events and recitals together. It's been amazing. As you guys can, can see, that was a middle school volleyball game right there. We, we've been there for each other to celebrate our kids. When my daughter Hadley was baptized a few months ago, it was our small group that was around the baptistry watching her and celebrating her and, and, and what had happened that morning. See, I am stronger in my faith today because the Spirit has given us this group of people to walk through life with. And I'm not up here on stage saying that I'm perfect. I'm still in process. But because of the work of the Spirit is doing through this group, I'm not where I was before. I'm stronger today because of what the Spirit has done through this group. And so as we close out this morning, I want to leave you with a few practical ways that we can lean on the bookends of the righteousness of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it's one thing for us to be able to talk about it, but it's another thing to actually put into action. Because you know if you set out those resolutions, you can talk about it all you want. But until you have some action steps to put it into play, then you, you can be successful when you have those action steps. And so here they are. First, let's preach the gospel to ourselves. Always remember the finished work of the cross. It's when we remind ourselves of the grace and the mercy that we have been given by God that motivates us and gives us the confidence to go out into the world and do anything we can for the kingdom. It's when we remind ourselves of the cross where, we were, where we're reminded where we don't have to carry this guilt and this shame and this fear anymore because Christ has taken it to the cross for us. It's where we understand a loving Father. So let's always preach the gospel to ourselves. Next, don't skip the local fellowship of the church that we've been given. The Spirit has put these people in place for you on purpose. Let's not skip the opportunities that we have to get to come together, not just here in this building, but to have coffee together, to pray for each other, to have small groups together, to go to games together. It's in these people that we're going to be stronger this year. And then finally, as you're thinking of that group Let's ask ourselves, who are the people that I'm going to walk with in this next year? Who are the people that are going to care for me? Who are the people that are going to pray for me? Who are the people that are going to challenge me on a given day? Who are the people that I can be real with? And as you think about those people, go get them. Go find them. Be intentional about it. See, my prayer is that as we do these things, we'll be able to look back on 2023 and say, listen, I'm, I'm not what I hope to be yet. I'm not perfect but I'm not what I used to be. I'm stronger than where I was in January of 2023. And it's because of the people that the Spirit has put in my life. So as we take on 2023 this year, 
Like I said, we don't know what's going to come our way. We don't know what obstacles are going to happen. We don't know what we're going to be celebrating by the end of the year. But let's take it head on, together, leaning on the righteousness of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit.